Thanks, guys. Well, we are starting a new series uh, this evening called Pillow Talk, where we are going to be going through uh, the book of the Bible called Song of Songs. And uh, I've, I'm kind of at a disadvantage because I've never, and maybe you have, but I've never heard a message taught on Song of Songs. Uh, I've never heard a series on it. Uh, it's kind of been this absent part of the Bible that churches don't really uh, talk about a whole lot. And I've read it and uh, started just uh, really studying the book and and really just kind of understanding that, you know what, there's some, there's some stuff in there that, you know what, we just don't like to talk about corporately. I just, uh, you know, I mean, how often do you get prostitute and breasts, you know, all in one scripture reading at church? So, uh, you know, and it just, so we're going to be talking about some grown-up things. And, uh, but the great thing about this book is it really outlines God's plan for not only sex, but romance and, and love. And as I really prayed about how to approach this, and uh, I, I, I found that there's, three different ways that uh, historically uh, people have approached the Song of Songs. Uh, uh, in uh, 3,000 years ago when it was written and it was adopted into the Jewish canon, uh, rabbis a lot of times would look at Song of Songs as an allegory. Uh, that is an extended metaphor of how God loves uh, Israel. And then uh, many uh, first century Christians picked up on that and extended that to how God or Jesus loves the church. And I think that uh, religious rulers had a tendency to do that because uh, there really isn't a uh, what you would traditionally think is a theological theme uh, throughout Song of Songs. It's really, uh, literally, it just looks like it's a love poem. Uh, between uh, Solomon, who uh, perhaps was the author of this, and uh, a woman that he found in his kingdom while she was uh, tending her field, tending fields. And uh, so another way that people have looked at it as just kind of independent poems uh, between uh, the two of them, just to express their love, but not really as a story. But as I really looked at it and, and prayed about it and read it again and again, I really felt that uh, it took on a lot of characteristics of ancient uh, Near East poetry and dramas. Uh, in Hebrew and Near East uh, poetry and, and songs, they're not always linear. And uh, the same is true with Song of Songs, where we're actually going to start uh, in the story on their wedding night, and then uh, later on in the weeks, we're going to go back and look at their courtship. So uh, how we're going to approach this is really looking at it as a, as a love story between uh, two individuals, uh, one who was extremely wealthy and the king, uh, and then another uh, who was really just very poor and uh, and was encountered him and saw that their love grew. Uh, when I was reading this, it's such beautiful language. And I think that it's a lot of times, especially in, um, in a corporate setting, that, that we feel like we need to be overly analytical with poetry. 
And that's something that, that I really think pays a disservice to, to poetry. I mean, we could talk about rhyme and, and meter and, and talk about climax of, of the story and all of these kind of things. But the truth is that I believe that, that, that poetry and song transcends uh, just literature. And it's really a heart language. A heart language of people expressing themselves in very open and intimate ways. So as we look, and we, we will we'll look at some technical stuff, but mostly we want to approach this as just really looking at two people falling in love and their love growing and being able to see that God's plan for, for love and romance and sexuality, that he is the author of that, and it's something that's pure and it's lovely and it's honoring to him. And when we engage in, in his plan and we submit ourselves to his vision for human sexuality, that we will experience blessings beyond what we could ever dream. So as we go through, um, we're going to be just really trying to connect with that and really trying to learn about one another and hopefully learn more about our loved ones and how to make them feel special. In verse 2, it starts with the young woman and she says, Kiss me again and again, for your love is sweeter than wine. How fragrant your cologne and how pleasing your name. No wonder all the young women love you. Take me with you. Come, let's run. Bring me into your bedroom, oh my king. You have this opening of, of this young woman who just openly just is showing her adoration for the love of her life. And probably in the historical context, what's happening here is that the young woman is the one that he met in the fields while surveying his kingdom. And the young women of Jerusalem are probably King Solomon's harem, or at least the court. And it's kind of interesting as she comes in and she says this. Uh, you can, I, I personally read this, and you can read it any way that you want, but I kind of read it as like some catty women. Oh, how happy we are for him. I don't know if they're really happy. I, I would doubt it, but maybe they are. We praise his love even more than wine. And then it's interesting in the next package passage, we get to see a glimpse of of the vulnerability of this young woman. You see, we all have insecurities, all of us. And she is going to open up and, and we're going to get to see and, and experience what some of the things that she's insecure about. And then we're going to see how Solomon responds to that. And it's going to be cool how we, as we go through this first section, that we're going to see by him responding in a certain way that she's going to gain confidence in these insecurities she's going to realize really don't matter. He says, how right that the young women love you. I am dark and beautiful, O women of Jerusalem, tanned as the dark tents of Kedar. Now the tents of Kedar uh, were woven out of black goat's hair. So she's pretty dark. Yet even the tents, yes, even the tents of Solomon, don't look down on me, you fair city girls. See, she's self-conscious about, about 
her looks. And it, and it doesn't really matter about, you know, her skin. Every, all of us have different insecurities. I mean, we, sometimes we, we think, uh, you know, I don't know if you've, you know, the classic one is like a lady comes out of, out of her bedroom with a dress on and she'll go up to her husband and, and say, uh, does this dress make me look fat? The husband looks, and no, it's not the dress, or, or something like that, you know. <laughs> we need to learn how to, how to spot these kind of insecurities and, and reassure. And that's all that's really going on here is that she's, she's been working in the fields, and, and she starts to explain herself. She says, don't look on me. Don't look down on me, fair city girls. Just because my complexion is so dark, the sun has burnt my skin. My brothers were angry with me and sent me out to tend the vineyards in the hot sun. Now see what it has done to me. Tell me, O oh love, where you are leading your flock today. Where will you rest your sheep at noon? For why should I wander like a prostitute among the flocks of your companions? See, she's opening up and saying, look, I am really insecure about how I look. That, that, that people in your court, your, your fine city girls are, are going to make fun of me. And what's even worse than that is I think that maybe during the high noon and the sun that, that you're going to go and you're going to leave me to myself and I'm going to be wandering around and people are going to think I'm a prostitute because you're afraid to have me into your tent. She's so just opening up these insecurities. And this is how... Solomon responds. He says, If you don't know, O most beautiful woman, follow the trail of my flock to the shepherd's tent, and there feed your young goats. What a lovely filly you are, my beloved one. In the translation that they read, they, he said, You are like a mare among stallions of Pharaoh's armies. Now, in our culture, guys, women probably don't like to be compared to a horse. Just a little free advice there. But, but 3,000 years ago, apparently that was a good thing. And, and uh, in a lot of ancient Near East uh, poetry, a lot of times when women were, were beautiful, they'd be referred to as, as a horse and, or the characteristics of a horse. And the imagery here that we have is you are like a mare. You're like a female horse among stallions pull and and pharaoh would only have stallions pull his chariots and there was a reason behind that because they if they were going into the war they wanted the stallions not worrying about the mares they wanted them straightforward going in to battle and what solomon is saying like look you are like a beautiful woman in the midst of a bunch of sweaty dudes that, that you are like a mare among stallions, that you are the, like the only woman in the world for me. He, then he goes on and he starts to be specific about things that he loves about her. He says, how lovely are your cheeks with your earrings setting them afire. How stately is your neck accented with long strings of jewels. And then check out what he says. He says, we'll make earrings of gold for you and beads of silver. Remember, she was a simple farming gal. She didn't have gold. She didn't have silver. 
And she's concerned about her looks. And he comes in and he says, look, you are beautiful. You are like a mare among stallions. That your cheeks are gorgeous. That your neck is, is stately. And so much so that I'm going to use my wealth to, to bring attention to them. And I think that this is such an important principle when we are engaged in a romantic relationship. Because so often we're not specific enough or we don't even say anything. That somebody is obviously insecure about, about one of their physical attributes or something like that and we just slough it off and we don't say anything or, or we don't tell people that we love the things that we love about them. You know, my wife Shannon, she, she often, uh, we're, we're kind of dorky. We actually quote poetry and Song of Solomons to each other, or Song of Songs to each other, and things like that. And, and she, she often uh, says, you're so handsome. And, she's, and, she, would, and she says, you know, I, I love your legs. And I know that's kind of weird, but she, she, she likes my legs. And she, she often says that, that your, your, your thighs are, are like alabaster. And, and I know it's kind of dorky, but I mean, that's my wife and, and I. And, and I was thinking about it, and I don't know that, that, you know, she concentrates on my legs because then she doesn't see my bald head, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> she, she loves me. And, and she is specific about things that she loves about me. And she sees different insecurities in me and instead of bringing attention to those she's intentional and this just doesn't happen by accident it's something that you have to decide you know what i am going to make the people around me feel special i'm going to do things that make them feel special and to do that you have to learn people's love language that you have to learn what makes them feel special. But the first thing you need to do is to pull away their insecurities so they can start believing that they are beautiful. When Shannon and I uh, were dating and, and, and um, early into our, our marriage, uh, whenever I told her that she was beautiful, she would say, no, you're beautiful, no. And, uh, and I just, I, I kept on telling her, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful to me. And I would tell her different things uh, that I'm not going to tell you that I thought were, were beautiful about her. And, and things that, that I, I, I was attracted to. And it's neat now that I, she, doesn't, she doesn't debate me anymore about her, her beauty because she believes that to me, she is like a horse. No, she is like a mare among stallions. That there is no other woman for me. Uh, then she goes after, after he talks about this, and she says, The king is lying on his couch. And I guess it's good to see that men haven't changed in 3,000 years. <laughs> Enchanted by the fragrance of my perfume. My lover, my lover is like a sachet of myrrh lying between my breasts. He is like a bouquet of flowers in the garden of Engadi. Now, 
uh, you know, for her in that imagery, uh, Engadi was uh, was an oasis uh, by the Dead Sea, by the Dead Sea, uh, just desolate all over. And where if Shannon told me I was like a bouquet, I mean that wouldn't, yeah, okay, you know. But 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 in the in the context, she is learning his love language. That she is she is saying, you know what, you are like this beautiful thing among the desert. All men compared to you are like the wilderness and you bring forth beauty. You see, words bring life. Words are powerful. But we need to use them wisely. And we need to use, be intentional about them to build our relationships. And they go back and forth and, and they, they compliment each other and they tell each other in, in very beautiful ways how much they love each other. And then in chapter 2 and verse 3, uh, she, she does something that's very telling. She lets Solomon know that he is helping her and he is speaking her love language. It says, my lover is like the finest apple tree in the orchard. Now, remember, she used to work in the vineyards. I am seated in his delightful shade, and his fruit is delicious to eat. He brings, brings me to the banquet hall so everyone can see how much he loves me. You see what she's doing here? She's letting him know that the three things that are important to her that he's fulfilling. So often, you know, uh, in, in relationships that, that do not have good communication, that, that people think, oh, they should know. Well, ladies, let me tell you one thing. Guys don't know unless you tell us again and again and again. And, uh, and ladies, guys our three things are pretty simple usually. So, uh, the, you know, but, you know, engaging and learning other people's love language. It's so important. And what she's doing here is, first, she had lived a life out in the sun being baked and the harsh environment. And she's like, you are like a tree. And I, it's like, when I'm with you, I am, I am sitting in the shade. And she feels protected, protected from the sun, protected from the harshness of her previous life. And he knows, look, I need to protect her. I need to be her shade. Also, intimacy is important to her. She talks about tasting his fruit. The Hebrew word there is yada, to know by experience. That intimacy is very important to her. To to be able to be known and know him. But in order to be known, you have to be vulnerable and you have to be open. And then finally, she alluded to it before, talking about how uh, she didn't want to be seen as a prostitute by herself at noon. And she says, here, look, you bring me into the banquet hall. Basically, you let other people see my your affection for me, that you let other people see that you love me. Now, everybody's love language is different. 
Hers is protection. She needs a protection and she has to feel intimacy and she has to feel like uh, Solomon is proud to be seen with her. But it is incumbent on us to communicate what our love language is. What makes you feel special? What makes you feel like a mare among stallions? Is it, is it a card? Is it a kind word? Is it a, is it a gift? Is it doing chores? Is it, is it a massage? What are those things? And communicate it with your, your spouse or your future spouse or whoever you're engaged with. Um, and just making sure that you are communicating these things. But also, guys and gals, once those things are communicated, those are the things that you need to pay attention to. That you need to set aside time and invest that into your loved one. In Solomon's case, knowing that protection, intimacy, and, and the, the appearance of being proud to be seen with her are important. Setting up situations that those, those activities happen. These are crucial factors. And then finally, uh, in the last few verses, she says, Oh, feed me with your love, your raisins, and your apple, for I am utterly lovesick. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. Talking just about just being close. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. All of these things. And making sure that there's a connectiveness there. And it's kind of interesting. She makes a, she makes a left turn here. And she makes a statement. And I, and I think that this, this statement is so important. And it calls out throughout the ages. Because love and romance and intimacy is such a powerful thing. She says, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the swift gazelles and the deer of the wild, not to awaken love until the time is right. Why did she say that? Why? Because a blessing, the blessing of of sex, the blessing of intimate contact, the, the blessing of marriage, all of these things that God has put together for us to enjoy and to bask in. These blessings can be our biggest curse if we force the timing on them. And I know it's so hard. It's so hard to, to, to say no. It's so hard to set boundaries. But the truth is, if you expose your heart and your body and your mind and your soul to things that are not in God's plan, and when you force those things too early, this thing that was meant to be a beautiful blessing possibly could become your biggest curse. And she's calling out, look, all of these things are beautiful. All of these things are great. All of these things are in God's plan and designed by God. But there's a right time and place for everything. And to make sure that we wait on God's timing. Words matter. They reassure doubting. They bring confidence. 
to those with self-esteem. They quench a dry soul. I want to challenge you guys, if you're married, to, to lavish your loved one, your spouse. Lavish them with words and be intentional and learn their love language and, and speak it to them daily. If you're engaged, have conversations. Simple conversations like, what makes you feel special? It's not rocket science here. You know, what kind of things can I do to make you understand how much I love you? If you can't have these conversations, you shouldn't get married. And if you're dating, you know, have these conversations. You know, hey, what makes you feel special? And you don't even, it doesn't even have to be in a romantic relationship. Look at your friends and, and, and your family. We all have love language. It doesn't have to be romantic. There's things that make people feel special. And we have the power with our words and with our time to be able to make somebody feel special. And by making them feel special, really giving them life. We're, we've been very blessed uh, uh, throughout this series, we're going to be playing a game. See, we're teaching on Song of Songs. I've never heard a church do that, and I've never heard of a church doing a, a game where there's actual prizes. So cool. There's going to be actual prizes. And here, this is what we're going to do. Uh, um, if, if you, we're going to really open this, this up uh, to uh, married couples and people who are uh, engaged. And I, I think it, it would even work uh, with if you have a, a, a special friend that you just want to make feel special. And uh, we've had some, uh, uh, some people in our community uh, give some money that we can, we're going to be giving away a $50 gift certificate to Bonefish every week. And this is, this is how you earn it. You have to do something special that does not cost any money. Something to make your spouse or your, your, your person you're engaged to or, or whatever, uh, to, to speak their love language, to make them feel special that doesn't cost any money. And then you need to email me your story. And this is going to do two things. One, hopefully you'll be able to go out with your spouse or, or person that you're engaged to or whatever and take them out to dinner. And, and, but also in your personal relationship, it'll start building a habit of looking outside of yourself and thinking about how other people feel. And then finally, not only will it benefit your own relationships, but it will encourage others as we read some of these ideas that people have, because it doesn't cost money to make somebody feel special. I mean, it can cost money to make somebody feel special, but doesn't have to. It's not a budgetary thing. So as we hear of other ideas of what we are doing, that we'll all be encouraged to live this out and to make each other feel special and loved. So I want you guys to really think about those things. And, and when you do it, email me. Each and every week, we're going to be doing this. And uh, email me at mark at element3.org. Uh, it's on the e-news. It's on the cards. It's all over the place if you don't remember. But I'm Mark. This is Element 3. It's an organization. Got it? <laughs> and, uh, and so it, it's really not that difficult. So uh, email me your thing. And uh, 
I won't read your name up here, so if it's like, you know, embarrassing or something, only I will ridicule you. Uh, that, that nobody else will. But you get 50 bucks out of it, so it'll be good. And I, I am really excited about this, and I think it's going to be uh, a lot of fun. And I'm really uh, excited to see how creative uh, our community is and how we show love. So let's pray. Dear God, just... Uh, Thank you for this book, this uh, book that uh, at times can be pretty steamy and uh, uh, just reminds us that you are the author of romance, that you are the author of love, and uh, that when we, we uh, submit and we uh, just look for your vision for our life and that we get to experience so much more than if we do it alone. God, I just pray for our community. I just pray that we just grow as just a, a loving community in our marriages and in all of our relationships. Love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.